When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I am Daniel Norcross from Test Match Special, from Zero Ducks Given, from Wisdom Cricket Monthly and various other outlets. And I am so delighted to tell you that after the uh, technological nightmares of having Le Grand Fromage, Jared Kimber, with us yesterday, we're back on an even keel with the puff pastry hangman himself. It is the chief cricket writer for the Press Association, none other than Rory Dollard. Rory, it's I can't tell you how lovely it is to have you back. You're very kind. You're very kind, Dan. I did I did hear on your podcast with uh, Jared that you said I was going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I thought you'd uh, I thought you'd booted me into the long grass, but here I am anyway. Well, it was just a precaution, just in case, because <laughs> you never know with 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 your lot, your your types. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> we are doing an emergency podcast, and I'll tell you why we're doing an emergency podcast. It's because England have broken records galore in their first Test match in Pakistan for 17 years, and Rahul Pindi racking up an enormous and eye-watering and impossible to believe 506 for four on the first day of a test match ben ball stokes ball baz ball whatever ball whatever ball it is they're playing with it's getting smacked out of the park whatever ball it is it looks pretty bloody big to the batters doesn't it beach ball it really does it's it's (laughs) beach ball that's i think that's the title that's the title (laughs) of the podcast hurrah England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England Cricket content. We will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thank you for joining Cricket's Conversation. It's going to be a bit of a freeform one today because we've got to run the rule over what has been an extraordinary day of Test Cricket. Records galore, England's fastest 300 the world's fastest 400, the world's fastest 500, four centurions, a poor old Pakistani bowler getting smacked for 162 on the first day of a test match, a spinner at that. That's got to be a record. No one's prepared to answer my question on Twitter, but it has got to be a record. Rory Dollard, have you got any more records to add to that? Got fastest century by an England opener. Zach uh, Zach Crowley's nicked that off Graham Gooch by about nine balls. Harry Brook. I remember was, that innings, Harry, 1990. I, yeah, well, yeah, I, I used to have Graham Gucci's cricket on the computer on the Amiga 500 computer game. That's the only uh, recollection <laughs> I have of that. Um, Harry Brook was was actually well, well on track for England's fastest Test century. He had at one stage he had, I reckon, he when he just hit the twenty the the six fours in and over, he had ten balls to get fifteen and he would have got England's fastest ever century. And he was going at way beyond, like t- 10 balls to get 15 looked like it was going to be a walk in the park. So his, he could have scored England's fastest ever test century in his second test innings. This is what we're dealing with today. Silliness across the and, board. And actually... I mean, it's just, just to add to that, Rory, quickly, <laughs> England, England have produced today alone two of the top six fastest hundreds yeah, exactly. for England. In, in one day, in one yeah. day. And, and I mean, even Brooks' six fours in and over of Shaquille was the fifth 
incidents of that happening in, in men's test cricket ever. And actually, and, and, and weirdly, and actually that seemed small to me. I thought given that the sort of, yeah, that didn't seem quite as many as I expected, but uh, three of the bowlers who've conceded six fours in and over are English. So <laughs> we had uh, Bob Willis, Matthew Hoggard, James Anderson have all conceded uh, six fours in and over. And would I be right in saying that, that one of the first men to do it would have been Ian Botham at the Oval in 1986? No, first Derek Englishman. Sterling. I don't believe so. Is not, he the first Englishman? A, no, first Englishman, yeah. Unless everything I've well, written this morning is incorrect. <laughs> well, no, well, let's, 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 let's say that it's it is correct. I think it's Patil from India against Willis. It's Chris yes, Gale. It's uh, Jaya Saria. It's Sarwan. That's what I reckon my little um, list, my tally is. And now it's Harry Brook, wow. the Keithley boy. Yes, I mean, that was a moment that Barbara Eisen will probably want to forget. He was trying to buy a wicket, and uh, mm. instead he just gave away 24 runs. But Actually, was... That, that, was, that was the moment, wasn't it, where it really, really tipped over into high farce when, I mean, the camera cut to Ben Stokes on the balcony, and he was not hiding the fact that he found the whole thing absolutely hilarious. He didn't, he wasn't, the sporting edge, the competitive edge had long since gone. He was... He was at Panto, you know, Harry Brooks hit six fours in and over. Oh, no, he hasn't. And Ben Stokes was there on the back. Oh, yes, he has. It was all a bit end of the pier stuff at that point. Even Harry Brook. <laughs> he was on the way for his first test century, in, on the track for the record, in his second test innings. And he was just peeing himself with laughter. It got, it got a bit, it got a bit nasty, didn't it? It, it did. I mean, later on in the podcast, we're going to discuss the, the whys and wherefores of the pitch because, mm. um, spoiler alert, Roel Pindy, uh, I think the average score in first-class cricket this season has been about 280. So yeah. somebody's, somebody's told them to do that to the pitch. It's, yeah. not, it's not normal. Um, we'll discuss that in our last segment where we try to work out how on earth you take any wickets. But let's let's start at the beginning. And my beginning was that um, I was pretty sure I was going to wake up in time for the start of the game. Um, Tomorrow. I was at home <laughs> in London. And actually, I overslept. I, I didn't wake up till around about 5.40, 5.45, only to discover that the score was 70 for none off 11 overs. They got to 100 in 13.4 overs, which I believe is the fastest England have ever done that in. Mm. It was their largest first-wicket partnership, am I right in saying, against Pakistan? All and of these things. The players Count. who did it... <laughs> I mean, when you think about the players who have yeah. played against Pakistan, the players who did it are Zach Crawley, who we have discussed at great length since I think we started we're, this I podcast. I think we're broadly Crawley supportive over, over our sweep of podcasts. Yeah. I think history will judge us well. Broadly Crawley supportive, but but not quite as Crawley supportive as, as we might have been Andrew Strauss supportive or Alistair Cook supportive Possibly. or... Uh, Len Hutton supportive or Graham Gooch supportive. Cook I mean, didn't, Cook didn't get Crawley. to 91 in the first session very often, though. That's not, that wasn't his areas. No, he really <laughs> didn't. And, and then at the other end is a guy who played four test matches before in his career, all of them on the subcontinent, looked, I mean, I say out of his depth. I thought he was really unfairly treated. He was put in in his first game, Ben Duckett, to face Mahadi Hassan on a raging turner at Chittagong. It didn't get any better for him in Dhaka. He had two test matches against India in the subsequent five test series, never to be seen of again. Six years later, he sent back to the subcontinent, and I do know that Pakistan pitches are very, very different from Bangladesh pitches. 
But nonetheless, mm. I mean, the way he played, it was it was done on a kind of hunch on the way he'd batted in the seven T twenty matches, wasn't it? When he was selected, really good. He had a very McCullum and Stokes friendly strike rate all through the county season. He when they sent the call out for people to play aggressive attacking cricket, he answered it, and that probably was as much to do with it because he did get into the squad, didn't he, for the, just to the end of the season. For the last the last test match yes, he got in the there. Oval. So so I think the call on Duckett was probably already made before the T twenties, but maybe the call to pick him ahead of Jennings, maybe that was swung by the T twenties. But actually it wasn't it wasn't a given that he would succeed as opening the batting, because he was opening the batting, we suspect, because of how he played in the middle order of some T twenties broadly against spin. And he was asked to open the batting in a test match. Against high pace, so it wasn't it wasn't the gimme or the the walkover that you might expect by looking at the scorecard. And actually, he showed his I don't know he, he in a, in a very very short space of time that T Twenty series this innings today he looks like a player with a lot of road to travel with England now, doesn't he? Well, he he really does because England have always struggled with this second opener. We've known that ever since Andrew Strauss retired. It's a sort of hackneyed conversation. Can you name all the people who played with Cook? And then, you know, subsequent to that, Zach Crawley having um, basically, I mean, not even a year with Alex Lees. He had a West Indies. Yeah, 10 tests. Uh, back in February. Yep. And then and then he had the English summer. And then Alex Lees, we said, had been rather, not not shabbily treated, but it was he was the one man who'd been dropped. Mm. First you might man, say yeah. Matthew Potts as well, but but actually dropped. Yeah. And when you look at the is numbers, that what you're saying? well, I do wonder. Um, <laughs> Stokes <laughs> goes kind of anti-Durham. strange if Ben. It would be strange if Ben Stokes was anti Durham, but um, if you look at his numbers last summer, they stacked up perfectly reasonably alongside Zach Crawley, and in fact, he showed a lot of attacking intent. Um, we talked a bit about how his test career might have been transformed by the second innings at Lords in that test against New mm. Zealand when he came out and really belted it around a bit. So well, one did feel a bit sorry for him. And then you sort of saw, oh, my God, you've got the minute Ben Duckett. You've got Lurch at the other <laughs> end in Zach Crawley. And you think, I suppose it is quite difficult to bowl to those mm. two, especially if you're a spinner, because you're Where's trying you to drop on a, on a particular length. And your length's all over the place when you're yeah. bowling to those. So you've got right-hand, left-hand combination. I mean, isn't hindsight fantastic? And the hindsight is actually a session. England, 174 without loss at the end of the first session. Another record, by the way, mm. England's highest score mm. at the end of the first session of a test match. Uh, it was it was mind-boggling the way those two went about it. Um, just your assessment before we move on to our second part. Did, did Pakistan bowl particularly poorly or... Did England just go out there nervelessly, those two, and uh, and take them apart? I think the majority of the of the reasoning for this score board looking as it does lies with England. It lies with winning the toss, it lies with the pitch, and it lies with England's intent. Equally, I think if you ball well, you're not going to concede five hundred on any pitch. You can you can shave. You can shave 100, 150 off that score by, by sorting out. Hope. I thought Babar <laughs> didn't captain very well. He looked very passive and flat from, from very early on. And he's got a long day too ahead of him, you would think. Uh, but there was, I don't think, maybe it's in, uh, maybe I am guilty of not looking too much into what the Pakistan team was going to be and just 
having as an article of faith that that they were going to have 95 mile an hour bowling because they've got they've got these guys that can roll up out of nowhere and it was going to be ragging and and mystery spin followed by raw pace because they have so much natural talent but actually looking at the lineup with 19 year old Nazim Shah followed by three debutants they were light they were really light actually and god did missed Afridi at the top because opening up to Afridi is a whole different kettle of fish no matter what the pitch is and they were probably I mean, there were two, three bowlers down on, on where they could have been and, and it probably showed. Yep, but, you know, when you're up against that, you've got to decide whether or not you're going to kind of take them down or whether you're going to think, oh, hooray, we've got a nice flat pitch, mm. got a chance to play myself in. End of the day, we might be 305 for three. No, not a bit of it. That's tea, almost. Um, we're going to take a short <laughs> break. After that, we've talked about two centurions on the first day of a test match, which is pretty unusual in itself. After the break, we're going to talk about uh, count them another two if you enjoy cricket history then we have a new podcast here from 99.94 double century and by new i mean it has been around for a little while we have covered so many topics in our first four seasons already including an entire series on the first time teams beat england but now we're back with a new season on the teams that got away listen to a new episode every friday or just binge the first four seasons it's available on all podcast platforms so welcome back Yes, Crawley Duckett. Very impressive. Magnificent opening partnership, 233. But two wickets went down quickly. At this point, could this be Could this be the Calypso Collapso? Well, no. Joe Root, <laughs> notwithstanding, and his, his 23, getting out to a sweep shot, which he's normally so imperious at playing. He was the one man to miss out because then strode to the wicket, or together at any rate, two more young guns, Ollie Pope, Harry Brook, who... England fans particularly will be looking at thinking, this is the future, isn't it, of England's batting over the next 10 or 15 years. We've talked at length about Ollie Pope. He looks the business. He's exceptionally dangerous mm. on good pitches because he knows how to pace himself and pace his, pace his game. We didn't really know about Harry Brook in a test match because it's only really been this calendar year that he's come good in red ball cricket prior to this year. For Yorkshire, it had been mostly in white ball cricket that he'd made his name. Started off very well in the English summer of 2022. Got his chance at the back end of the season when fellow Yorkshireman Johnny Bairstow broke his leg. Then he comes out and, as you said, scores the second fastest 100 for England. So third, I think. He's the fast. Johnny Bairstow beat him last year as well, yeah. That's right, yeah. That's right. Johnny Bairstow got seven, 78 balls, didn't he? Um, third fastest 100. He and Ollie Pope in tandem. I, I wasn't sure that it was possible to go quicker than had gone before, but the ease and the effortless nature mm. of it there was no slogging there was no like desperate yearning there was milking there was driving there was just total control from both of them let's let's start with pope because he came in at three yeah um he said himself at the end of the day at the end of the day's play he said oh i was, I was a bit out of sorts the first 30 balls yeah. um i'd seen everyone else bashing it around and i thought it I don't. I forgot that I needed to play myself in, which is a typical Ollie Pope thing to mm. say after he's just scored a hundred. He's always finding something wrong with himself. Yeah. That boy, when he played for me, one of the most majestically beautiful innings. I suppose he was a little bit fidgety to start with, but my word, when he got into his stride, it was. I know the comparisons with Ian Bell are a bit hackneyed, but when he bats like Ian Bell, it's hard yeah. not to make the comparison with Ian Bell. It was just all. Good. It was all good. The, those two guys came in, and and actually, when you have such a big 
ball start. Listen, England middle order batsmen for a number of years have got used to coming in at 20 for three or eight for two, you know, not nice positions. But actually there is a little bit of jeopardy in coming in on such a fat score because intensity, maybe is it dialed down a bit because there's a bit of jeopardy has been removed from the situation. It's gone wrong hundreds of times. We've all... Anyone who's played has suffered a bit of bat rash and watched someone smack it and thinking, get me out there, get me out there. Oh, I'm back in. Because that's 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 the nature of the game sometimes. But those two guys, oh, we could see them bat forever, couldn't we, in the next few years? They're, just, they're so talented. They played the situation beautifully. And again, I mean, Pope in particular didn't play anything out of his comfort zone. He, was, he just scored, he reeled off a 100 in Pakistan without without almost reaching in too far deep into his bag of tricks. Brooke, a little bit more expansive. He got the sixes going. I mean, the fact that he's got 500 in the day, and there's only three sixes, and two of them came from Brooke late, late on, really, um, says it all. And there was a three, I reckon there was 310 runs in boundaries in the day, which is hefty. Um, and, and Brooke, yeah, listen... He we, he was back to that guy that we didn't really get started in the World T20, did he? he? He sort of, he was a little bit of a passenger in that story, but he had looked super, super, super confident in the T20s in Pakistan. And he was all over that today. He was hitting that inside out extra cover hit. He was, he was whipping the ball away off his legs, sort of wherever he deemed the, the gap to be. And it does feel like that's the first of many. I know it's the easiest thing to say, oh, once he's got one, that's the first of many. It feels like it's the first of many. And England, I don't know, if I'd have said to you that England were going to do this baz ball, beach ball, bend ball, cricket ball thing, uh, and they they were going to score 500 runs in a day, if I'd have said that they were going to do that with Joel Root, not turning up and getting basically nothing in that total. And with the man who did more than anyone to manifest this philosophy, because McCullum and Stokes talked the philosophy and Johnny Bairstow walked it. And Johnny Bairstow's not there. So the, 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 two, the two men you would, you would have said six months ago who were most likely to get to this preposterous end result Root didn't really turn up. Bearstow literally didn't turn up. He wasn't even awake for the first session. He tweeted that he was, you know, tweeted that he woke up to a happy scorecard. So they've done this on the back of uh, an opening bat in Zach Crawley, who's been under the gun for quite a while, an opening bat in Ben Duckett, who has been out of the team for six years, a bloke, Ollie Pope, who's lived down his potential for most of his short test career and he's just finding his way now. And with Harry Brook, who England's social media account did flag him up as the golden boy in his second test innings. We've got, we're well, loading big things on his shoulders now. Uh, it's, it's indeed, it's his second test innings. So he's got a test average of over 50 uh, <laughs> and counting because he's still in. Just to pick up on a couple of things on your, your boundary count, 75 overs bowled today. England hit 73 fours and three yeah. sixes. Yeah. Uh, what? That's a boundary every over on the first day of a test match. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, pick up another thing, Ollie Pope. This time last year, Ollie Pope was batting outside off stump and getting bowled behind his legs, middle stump. What was beautiful to see today was 
he's off stump, to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Got to see Ollie Pope's off stump. And do you know what makes all the difference? Because he's an offside player. I mean, mm. he's an all-round-the-wicket player, of course he is. But if you stand outside off stump and you can play glorious, liquid shots like Ian Bell through the offside, you're not going to get the chance because the ball's not going to be wide enough. So it's absolutely marvellous to see him standing basically on kind of middle stump, wasn't it? You got to see his off stump. And um, lastly, before we move to the next section, that's when I'll ask you, Harry Brook playing PSL. You mentioned it again at close of play. um, That playing PSL, I know it's a completely different form of cricket, but he said it's exactly the same pitch as we played on in the T20s, for example, in in the, in the warm-ups. Um, the familiarity with surroundings, you know, going to Pakistan when England used to go to Pakistan back in the eighties, you know, when Ian Botham would say terribly disparaging things about it, you know, you wouldn't want to send your mother-in-law there and things like that. You would want to. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. sorry, you would, wouldn't you? Yes, that's right. Sorry, get it right. (laughs) But, you know, that, that sort of spoke to players who only went to Pakistan when there was a test tour on. And there weren't that many of them. If there was one every four years, I'd be surprised looking back through history. So there were unfamiliar surroundings and there was this sense that, you know, they were going there into this spooky other world. But actually, this England team has got a bunch of players who have been to Pakistan. England may not have been there for 17 years, but their players have been there and they know the surroundings. How important do you think that is? Hugely helpful. They have, I mean, as I said, I think we talked about it in the T20 series when Harry Brook played the first of his lovely little knocks over there. He was interviewed pitch side and they said, how do you find these conditions? And this kid from... From uh, my neck of the woods here in uh, North Yorkshire, uh, Village Cricket Club in the Dales, said, well, it's just a typical Pakistan pitch, really. <laughs> so, you know, it does help. And Duckett, of course, has played PSL. Um, so he, he, he that's definitely been helpful in the way he's gone about it. it again, it speaks, to, it speaks to the sense of the uh, plan to get the Lions up and running in a more meaningful way the plan is to send them on tours and have them acclimatise, have them be all conditions cricketers before they progress to the test team. And, and albeit they've done it on a franchise basis here, but you would only expect that's going to tick up in an even more profound way when people are doing it in Red Bull tours. And I would expect the Lions to become even more of a sort of proving ground than it is at the moment. Right, it's time for our final break. After that... We're going to be saying, yeah, it's all well and good that England scored 506 for four in 75 overs. Did I just say that on the first day of a test match? But does that mean that this game is an absolutely nailed on draw? Whether it's missing flights or retirements out of the blue, whether it's resignations or bans, as the old saying goes, there's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. So make sure you listen to West Indies on 99.94 to stay up to date with all the latest fallout with the teams in Maroon. Welcome back. Now, you may have noticed I didn't say, is this going to be a nailed on board draw? Because England have made sure that at least the first day is not going to be boring. But a couple of things to throw in your direction. The first one is something I want to get off my chest because it infuriates me. The cricketing authorities should be aware of the way the earth goes round the sun. Because it's sort of been doing it ever since the earth was kind of born. And at this time of year, in Pakistan, it will be dark at 4.38. Right? 4.38. So why are they starting playing cricket at 10 o'clock? When you 
play a test match in Kolkata, you tend to start at nine o'clock in the morning because if you want to get playing, because you need light, mm. do you know what I mean? Um, what on earth are they doing? They've lost 15 overs of play. And do you know the, the response to this is, well, we're going to start seven minutes <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Seven? Seven? I mean, that's not going to touch the sides. It's bizarre. So, well, whatever happens, Rory, this game is going to be 75, 76 overs a day. Mm. I mean, there's just, there's no way out of that, is there? So looking at that pitch, yeah, a couple of balls kept low. Um, a couple actually turned. One turned past Crawley's back rather beautifully into the keeper's gloves, mm. but they were few and far between. How do England play the rest of this test match? And the reason I ask that is, they could get bowled out tomorrow for 580 or 600. But they've got a, a longer batting lineup with Will Jackson, Liam Livingston, and obviously Stokes and Brooks still in. They could try and score 750, 800. That might be a goal and then look to enforce a follow-on. But if you've got back-to-back test matches, you don't really want to be in the field for days on end. And then I put that back to you that, well, these are quite short days. It's only 75 overs. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know. And it's I not... don't know whether England's bowling attack is suited yeah. to picking 20 wickets up yeah, on any pitch, let tricky. alone that. It, it is tricky. And England aren't really used to managing a game like this because usually they lose games like this. They don't, they don't, you know, big games in the subcontinent where teams score 690 or whatever, we don't often end up pushing for a, a win in them. So they're going to have to do some thinking about when they time their declaration. I mean, the fact that we've got 500 on the board here to stare at and Stokes is just getting started and there's two debutants in Livingston and Jacks who like to cart the cover off it. Could go anywhere. It could go absolutely anywhere. But do they want to be bowling once? And then bowling straight after again without a rest. It's, it's, uh, they've got James Anderson, who's 40, super, super fit, but 40. They've got Ollie Robinson, you know, recent convert to Jim Bunny-ism, but man with fitness problems, back issues in the past. And a couple of part-time spinners. It's, there's a bit to do, isn't there, to, to, for, to turn weight of runs into a win. Having said that, Scoreboard pressure is a real thing, and Pakistan are going to be croaking under tons of it. So they're going to need someone to to go big. The the only thing is, I think we'll get an idea quite early, won't we? If they are just trying to kill the game, because they're not going to score at six and seven and over. I'm sure of it. Uh, and if they're if they're not, and they're looking for parity, parity is going to take them. A long time. We're going to know if there's if if there's two teams in this game, pretty pretty soon yeah. into the Pakistan innings. I think. Listen, I think it's worth. We should do it, and we should put ourselves as hostages to fortune, because things will change. But the pitch is not good. It should be if 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 this game ends up a draw and it we don't see marked change. This has got to be marked down. If the pitch looks and feels and plays like this. It's very rare for a pitch to be marked down for being too friendly to bat batters. But this did is ha- good. Did, a can- happen, did happen. Did yeah, happen. Did happen. Did happen. But this is Trent Bridge. Didn't this it? is as Trent good Bridge a candidate as I've seen. Twenty fourteen. 
Yep, I think when when Jimmy Anderson got eighty one, yeah. I think that sent the, yeah, yeah. the pitch inspectors completely berserk. They went, "Hang on, red, red flag! Yeah, <laughs> I can't be allowed." But, to but when Australia came, India. when Australia came here for their recent tour, Rami's Raja, the PCB, fessed straight up and said, "Well, yeah, this was our plan. We killed the pitch. Why would we? Why would we play to their strengths? We've got a great fast bowling attack. We killed the pitch. Sorry, it's our plan. But does that? But if, but, if that's but, but, what Rory, they've done here." If that's what they've done here, they haven't read England's attack correctly, have they? Well, I was going to say exactly that, because England have turned up without Stuart Broad, without many pace options. Mark Wood. Mark Wood. Mark Wood uh, no the, I mean, if he plays, he's going to play one test match. Mm. So England are going into this, looking for a bit of reverse swing. I mean, they haven't really got reverse swing bowlers particularly. I suppose Anderson might be able to get a bit and Stokes might Stokes be able to get bit, a bit. Yeah. But but they're, they're cobbling together a really patchwork team and given what Pakistan have got potentially to pick from, I know they haven't got Shaheen Shah, but there's Hassan Ali waiting in the wings, isn't there? You know, there's Nazim Shah himself. Harris Ralph is a very fine bowler. They ought to, I would have thought, gone all out and tried to go toe-to-toe with England's pace mm-hmm. attack and say, what are you going to do about that? And bearing in mind that this isn't because Pakistani pitches have to be dreadful. Artif Nawaz was tweeting about this, that pitches at Royal Pindi have been... Pretty evenly yeah. matched ball against bat, averaging 280 to 300. Um, and this is certainly not one of those pitches. So it doesn't seem tactically wise unless they want to just get 15 days of cricket out of it. I think from an England point of view, Jack Leach is going to have to do a lot of bowling. Mm. Um, they do have six bowling options. And if they get enough runs on the board, then with 75 over days, and that is important because... Mm. If you're only going to get 75 overs per day, then you're losing 75 overs out of the match. Yeah, yeah. You know, which um, is a significant, significant amount. I mean, basically gives you a four-day and half a session yeah. match, which on an absolutely flat track doesn't give you a chance of a result unless, I suppose, you score at 6.66 runs yeah. and over. Not, which nothing is, what nothing is gonna nothing is gonna take away the, the shock at all. And the, the credit in the bank that England have, have collected from the way they've gone about it today. They've really, really put their foot to the floor, more so than anyone could expect them to, even on a belter of a pitch. But if this game if this game falls to a pretty inevitable draw if Pakistan knuckle down, or if England post a huge total and just get over the line, it'll be a tremendous act of self-sabotage by Pakistan because... They've just, they've served up really on day one. Pitches can redeem themselves. It it was a shocker of pitch. It has no right. The, 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 the rulings on pitches talk about an even contest between bat and ball. Well, we didn't see that. So whether they win the toss and bat and they're 350 for, for three or four today and, and they think they've done a good job, I don't, you know, that's sort of counterfactual. That was one way life could have gone for them. But with a, a raw bowling attack full of debutantes, they've hobbled themselves. Yep. And and actually, this was fun. This was a whole ton of fun because England do things in an entertaining way quite deliberately. It didn't need to be fun. It could have been stodgy as all hell, this. And England could have been scoring yeah. three, three and a half and over and playing, playing the percentages. And it would be a pretty poor advert for Test cricket, and that brings us full circle to the project of, of McCullum and Stokes. And honestly, I think at this point, having gone to the well again here in Ralpindi in the way they have, I feel like anyone who 
dispute that their mission is to reinvigorate test cricket as a concept, as a product, uh, is a flat earther. The, the, it, fe- it feels absolutely churlish to just say, you know, th- these are words, they're, they're living it. They're living and breathing this idea that, that, that the format should and bloody well will be exciting over their dead bodies, you know. And I don't know, been going quite a while, test cricket, but I'm starting to believe it's just getting started. Well, do you know, that's probably where we should end it. I had always had a dream that one day Joss Butler would bat for the entire oh. day in the test match and that a side would score as a result 500 on that day. <laughs> Only one side's ever scored 500 in a day. It was Sri Lanka against Bangladesh when they scored 509. But, you know, they did it in a 90-over day. <laughs> England were three runs short. They were denied by bad light. Three runs short with 15 overs to spare. 506 for four. A truly astonishing, epic day that will go down in the annals of Test Match history. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, well, all four centurions. Don't know what you were doing about it, Joe. Take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case and in your case, Rory. At the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.